0: Hi, my name's Amy, and I'm calling from Mount Rainier, Maryland. I'm also a poll worker. Hi, my name is Katie. I live in Chicago. I mailed in my ballot for this election, and one of the things I really, really like about that process is that uh, if I haven't researched every single down-ballot candidate or issue, it gives me time to look through the information available to me through various means. And uh, I dropped it in the mail, and it's good to go, and I'm able to track it. I voted early at a open poll, early voting location in a library. And I did that because I don't want to deal with the hassle of November 8th and whatever craziness that may happen from some people who seem to not understand the democratic process. And it's important to
1: vote. More than 21.5 million people have already voted in this fall's midterm elections. That's according to the U.S. Elections Project at the University of Florida. The way we vote radically changed in 2020 because of the coronavirus pandemic. More than 100 million people voted by mail and in person long before polls opened on Election Day. This year probably won't be quite as high, but the numbers are still up there. So, what do the early voting numbers tell us about turnout this year? And if you haven't voted yet, what should you expect when you cast your ballot? I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. Stay with us, we have a lot more coming up after the break. We're discussing early voting ahead of the midterm elections. Let's welcome our guests. Joining us from D.C. is David Becker. He's the executive director of the Nonpartisan Center for Election Innovation and Research. He's also the co-author of the new book, The Big Truth, Upholding Democracy in the Age of the Big Lie. David, it's great to have you back.
2: Great to be here, Jen. Thanks.
1: Joining us from Atlanta, Georgia, is Matthew Brown. He's a democracy reporter for The Washington Post. Matt, welcome to 1A.
3: Wonderful to be here, Jen. Thanks so much.
1: And with us from Utah is Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. She's a Republican and she oversees the state's elections. Lieutenant Governor, welcome to the program. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So David, what trends are we seeing from early voting this year?
2: Well, we're seeing pretty high interest in early voting, both in early in-person voting and mail voting. As you mentioned, we've had apparently over about 21 million people cast their ballots already as we sit here eight days before Election Day. And That includes, for instance, 1.6 million or so in Georgia alone. So voters are really responding with pretty high turnout. It's uh, certainly rivaling the record high turnout we saw in the midterm of 2018. Might not quite reach the record high turnout that we saw in 2020, which was the highest turnout election we've, we've had in modern American history since universal suffrage. But the fact that it's even somewhat close is remarkable.
1: Lieutenant Governor, what does early voting look like in Utah?
4: Well, obviously, uh, this is a midterm election, so it's down uh, a little bit from, well, significantly from what it was in 2020, um, and even down a little bit from what it was in 2018. Um, but it, it, we're we're trucking along. We're just under about 200,000. Um, early voters here in the state of Utah and early uh, in-person locations are going to start ramping up this week in our state.
1: And what does that process look like for voters in Utah? Is it in-person early voting? Do they have to mail in a ballot? How does it work?
4: Well, it's uh, all of the above. We we in the state of Utah take the approach that we want voters to be able to vote in whatever manner uh, they feel the most comfortable. So we we are a mail-in voting state. We have been for a number of years. We uh, it, it served us very well in 2020 that we already had a, a vote by mail system long in place um, that our counties were able to opt in over the years. Um, But uh, we also have early uh, or in-person locations that every county is required to have some in-person polling locations. Um, All active voters are mailed a ballot, and the vast majority of the uh, voters in Utah do return those by-mail ballots either through the Postal Service or through secure ballot drop boxes.
1: And why do you encourage people to vote early and not wait until Election Day?
4: Well, we never want to discourage someone from having their voice heard or exercising their right to vote by having long lines um, or you know something coming up with them personally or with work that prohibits them or, or inhibits them somehow from being able to vote. So we encourage people to, once they know who they want to vote for, go ahead and get that done. Your vote is going to count the same if you vote early as it does if you count, on, uh, count it on election day. So. Um, Get it done and and make sure that your voice is heard. It's very important.
1: Well, as we heard from David, some places like Georgia are seeing much higher early voter turnout than expected. Matt, what do we know about what's driving people to vote early?
3: Right, absolutely. So I think it's a really interesting thing to note that here in Georgia, the number of people who are early voting in person is is just the overwhelming majority of people. The the situation here is that we're we're far surpassing about 40% higher the number of people who voted in 2022 so far than at this po- same point in 2018. And the vast majority of that has been in-person early votes. So that's that's different from past years, especially during 2020 when you saw a lot of people casting their ballots by mail here in Georgia and all across the country. I think it's important to note that around Around the country, about 13 million people have returned their mail-in ballots um, and about 9 million, or just a little under that, have voted in person. So, so the inversion here, I think, shows that people are very, very um, excited to vote, they're very, very focused on voting and there's been recent policy changes um, here in Georgia that have made it so that there's a couple more steps now to actually cast a mail-in ballot and, and find a location like a Dropbox, for instance, to actually submit it meaning that, that a lot of campaigns and, and voting groups here in Georgia have been encouraging people to not only vote early, but vote in person because they think that that's the most secure and easy way here in Georgia for people to cast their ballot.
1: And and what are you hearing from uh, officials, Matt, about what this early voting wave could tell you about overall turnout?
3: Well, the officials here are very confident that we're actually going to see this early vote wave continue and if not increase over this coming week, and that that is a sign that, that people are engaged and that the election system is so far being able to you know, process a lot of those ballots in in the um, period before election day. Actually, so so a lot of the people who are, are turning out at the moment either hadn't voted in past midterms or had voted on election day. Georgia obviously has had a history of long lines here at the polls and and other um, you know issues going on with election administration. So so poll workers and election officials here are very very interested and concerned in in getting as many people into and out of these polls as smoothly as possible.
1: Now, David, we saw a mass proliferation of access to vote by mail during the 2020 2020- election due to the pandemic. How widespread is it now? It's still
2: very widespread. I mean, I think um, voters need to understand that it's in all likelihood, they're going to experience something that looks very convenient and familiar to them when they try to vote. I know there's been a lot of stories, there's been some laws passed, a lot of them were unnecessary and based on the lies that the 2020 election was stolen. But Uh, My nonprofit, the Center for Election Innovation and Research, just put out a report a couple of weeks ago and confirmed that 35 states are offering every voter the opportunity to vote no excuse, mail ballots, or early in-person. That includes states like Georgia and Utah. Utah is really what Lieutenant Governor Henderson and her predecessor, former Lieutenant Governor Cox, now Governor Cox, have overseen as really a model system. And... What you're seeing in states like Utah and Georgia and many other states is voters get to choose between either voting early in person, requesting a mail ballot or having one automatically sent to them as they do in Colorado and Utah, or voting on Election Day. And those choices really render a system that is very resilient. If there are any problems, we find out about it earlier. If there is any lines Voters can come back at a more convenient time, go to a different location in many cases. So that's really a best practice, and that's what the vast majority of voters in this country get to see.
1: Now, Lieutenant Governor Henderson, there's some criticism about just mailing every voter a ballot. Sometimes the critique is made in good faith, but often it's not. How do you ensure the process is secure?
4: Well, we have a number of safeguards and checks and balances to make sure that only eligible voters are voting. And and that starts with voter registration. We have a robust voter registration process. Um, We try to uh, work really hard to keep our voter rolls clean. Um, So when people sign up to register to vote, their identities, their residences, all of that is checked. And then when they actually vote, um, their signature on their ballot envelope is compared to the signature on their voter registration or on their driver's license and even on previous mail-in ballots that they have sent in to make sure that it's the That voter is the voter that has signed the envelope, and that's the vote that should be counting. Um, And if it's not the right signature, then then those voters get notified, and they have an opportunity to cure their ballot or are sometimes notified that maybe uh, the spouses accidentally signed each other's ballot envelopes or or, or something like that. But uh, we have very robust checks and balances before, during, and after voting to verify that every vote is counted um, and every eligible voter can be secure in that Now, David, this year is also
1: our first election after redistricting, and that process happens every 10 years after the census. What effect might redistricting have uh, on where people vote this year?
2: Yeah, that's right, Jen. There's um, Every 10 years, we redistrict, and that means a couple of things that voters should understand. One, After every redistricting, uh, all the precincts get redone in most jurisdictions because the district boundaries have changed. And so it's possible your voting location, particularly if you wait until Election Day, has changed. So you should be very careful and check that out. And then secondly, that your congressional district or your district for your state legislative district, Uh, representatives might have changed as well. So just be prepared for that. Do your research ahead of time. It's all normal. It happens every 10 years.
1: Lieutenant Governor, last year you called election integrity claims destructive and concerning. Most of these claims are coming from within your own party, the GOP, and many of them are aimed at people in your role. How do you see your job as an election official at this time of rampant disinformation and damaging rhetoric?
4: Well, I have to say, Jen, that story of the voter that you just shared makes me really sad. Um, (laughs) People really do need to take a step back, take a deep breath. Um, and And assume the best uh, of the people who are running their elections um, our, our elections are run by our neighbors uh, these are these are our friends these are local people these are these are people you go to church with people you run into at the grocery store. Um, nobody cares more about the security and the accuracy and the fairness of elections than the local election workers who actually run and administer those elections and it makes me really sad. Um, that there have been so many threats, uh, so much nastiness and negative um, uh, accusations, um, calls uh, for um, violence, even in some instances, it, it makes me really sad. In the state of Utah, we've had almost two thirds of our county clerks uh, either quit or not run for reelection in the past mm-hmm. uh, year and a half or so, and you know it, it's it's just a heightened time. Um, a tense time, and the people who are in this space are in it because they love it, Um, they're in it because they care about democracy, they care about public service, and uh, and I hope that uh, the, the rhetoric can tone down. Um, in the state of Utah we actually had a poll a couple of weeks ago that showed that uh, 89% of Utahns are confident in, in our elections and that our elections this year are going to be run fairly and accurately. That's up from over uh, 8% from earlier this year on that same poll. So we've actually improved those numbers here in the state, even among very conservative people. It's really the tiny, tiny majority or minority of very loud voices um, that that maybe have an outsized influence, at least in the state of Utah. They they make it seem like more people than actually do um, are questioning the integrity of our elections. And I just want
1: to make sure I heard those numbers correctly. Did you say originally that poll showed only 8% of people had trust in the election and that's jumped to 89%?
4: Sorry, it was up over 8% from earlier. So it was 81% in February, 89% in, in October of this year. So we've gone up 8% in the number of people um, who believe that our elections are going to be run accurately and fairly here in the state of Utah. So we've improved our numbers. They're really high and great, but we've improved them. I still want to make sure that we can try to convince the other 11%. But you know, some people just are not ever going to be convinced.
1: From a practical standpoint, when you're talking about two thirds of your clerks quitting or deciding not to run for office again, what does that mean for your ability to to run these elections efficiently?
4: Well, what it means is that we have a lot of work to do. Um, In the state of Utah, the lieutenant governor has the direct and general supervisory authority over elections. Of course, the state does not run elections. Counties do that. But we have really stepped up our efforts, my office has, to help train, educate, um, and provide support um, at an unprecedented level to our county clerks. Uh, We've been working with uh, universities, state universities, to try to help implement some of those programs. We have a lot of work to do, especially with the new clerks that are incoming um, over the next uh, few months here. Um, and we have, we'll have we have a lot of work to do to prepare for the 2024 elections, but uh, I believe that we will be able to do that. Um, there are some clerks that are running that that may have uh, expressed some, some doubt and some skepticism and maybe said some things that are not very helpful. I'm really hoping that once they get in and finally uh, dig in and understand what we do and how we do it and how elections are run in Utah, they'll change their tune. That often happens. Um, So I'm choosing to be optimistic Mm -hmm. on that front, um, but we have a lot of work to do, and we are determined to do it.
1: You know, I I hear the question asked often, how can election officials restore faith in elections? But I'm curious to hear from you, Lieutenant Governor, do you really think it's up to elections officials to restore that faith, or is it about the people who are spreading the mis- and disinformation?
4: Well, it's much—it's— it's much easier to spread mis- and disinformation. It's much easier to spread outrage and lies. Those sell a lot more than truth and reason and rationality. But uh, that being said, I think it's up to election officials. Yes, it's up to elected officials. It's, it's up to public officials um, and, and people just in the general public not buying into the hype and the lies. Um, what we've done in the state of Utah, and I can't say that this is why public confidence has increased this year, um, but what we have tried to do is to open our doors. The county clerks have opened the doors to, uh, to to the public, saying, come in. Let us show you how your ballots are processed. Let us show you how our election system works. Let us show you all of the checks and the balances and the tools we have in place to make sure that elections are secure. Um, and we've, we've tried to be very open and transparent. It's been described. It's been hard. Um, we feel like it's almost you know this person to person contact that we're making, but every little bit seems to help. And um, and we've been very uh, strong in our in our support and in our encouragement and in our. Um, assessment of, of our elections. We're never saying, you know what, what we're doing now is perfect and nothing ever needs to change and we don't ever need to do anything better. We've never taken that approach. In Utah, we're always open to new ideas that are good. In my mind, as long as they do two things, as long as they increase security in our elections and preserve access to the ballot. You can have both. You can have good, easy access for eligible voters to the ballot and have good election security. We can have both of those things. They're not mutually exclusive. We're discussing what to expect when voting this
1: year. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Remember to connect with us, download the 1A pop app and leave us a question. We're discussing early voting ahead of the midterm elections. Well, let's go back to our voicemail box. Here's a message we got from Tina after she voted last week.
0: Hey, my name is Tina Trice, and I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. I voted early. Actually, I voted last night, just before the polls closed. And what made me very, very anxious was that there was. So I'm I'm African American, and where I vote is 99.9 percent African American community and when I walked in there was a Caucasian woman standing there watching me vote and when I walked out I saw two more Caucasian people walking in as poll watchers. Um, I think it's ridiculous I think it's an insult and I am not happy about it. I um, will probably next election sign up to be a poll worker because I feel like we are being targeted. And that's my story.
1: Now, David, 40% of voters are worried about threats of violence or voter intimidation this election. That's according to a recent Reuters-Ipsos poll. What should people keep in mind about poll watchers and potential intimidation at the voting booth?
2: Yeah. So, so first of all, we should recognize that we've had poll watchers throughout our nation's history. And they're actually, when they're properly trained and they behave properly within the polling place, that's a very good thing. It gives a sense of confidence and transparency to the process. They represent both parties. And of course, the number one rule for any poll watcher is to be a fly on the wall, not to interfere. Your job is just to sit there and watch and if you see something that appears to be going wrong, you contact the appropriate authorities to handle it. I've observed, um, I, I've observed voting in probably thousands of precincts when I was with a lawyer with the Justice Department, and even with the Justice Department, that was the number one rule. We did not interfere with the process. We stood far away from voters and just took notes of, of what was happening. Now, if, if poll watchers are interfering with the process or potentially intimidating, there are laws against that and they should be enforced. But in general, we should expect poll watchers to be there. That's a good thing. Um, it, it helps breed a sense of trust and confidence. But that being said, there is also this, there, there is a, there's a lot of angst right now out there. There are a lot of people who are worried about what's going on in polling places. We see what's happening in places like Maricopa County, Arizona. <laughs> And we should note that we, we probably need to take this into context. This is, these are isolated incidents right now. And the election deniers, the extremists, want us to be scared of voting. They want us to self-suppress, to not show up. And the proper response is to note that right now 21 million plus people have already voted without incident. People are going to be able to vote all over the country without an incident. They can choose which way they vote. They can choose when they vote. They can choose where they vote in almost every state. In all likelihood, 99.999% of the voters in this country are going to be able to vote in a process that's convenient, that's familiar, and that's safe.
1: Hmm. And David, I think sometimes it's helpful just to, just to know what your options are. If you're a voter and you feel like you've experienced intimidation, when you were casting your ballot, are there typically mechanisms, understanding the rules are different from state to state, but are there typically mechanisms for you to report that?
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's mechanisms to report them to state and local authorities. If you see this happening in your um, in, in a polling place, an early voting site, you should report it immediately to your county election officials. You should report it immediately to your state election officials and perhaps even to state law enforcement, depending upon what's happening. I mean, look, if it's It it depends on the the nature of it, right? We have situations where there might be people who look strange and seem to be a little closer to you than you'd like. And the other end of that is people in tactical gear outside of a Dropbox, following you around and taking videos of you. I think taking into account what's happening there, whether you think other voters might be intimidated by the behavior, and then reporting it to law enforcement. And you can always report things as well to the Federal Department of Justice, to the voting section of the Civil Rights Division. They take in complaints as well, and this is a federal election, so federal law applies. Intimidation or attempted intimidation of voters is a crime under federal law.
1: David, what should voters expect when it comes to results? How quickly will the ballots be counted?
2: As far as results go... We never actually have official results on election night. We never have in the nation's history. No state, any place can do that. We have very complex ballots in the United States with dozens of races and often multiple pages. And when races are very, very close, when margins are close, it's impossible to call those races closely. It's just the media doing it based on how wide the margin is and exit polling and other data they might have. So if we have a lot of close races, and it's highly likely that we will in this election, it may be days or even weeks until we know for sure who has won those individual races. And since some of those races might come in the U.S. Senate and U.S. House races, we might not know until weeks after the election who controls the Senate and the House. In states like California, for instance, they take weeks to finish counting all of their millions and millions of ballots on multiple page ballots. And we usually don't, really notice it because in a presidential race, it's very clear who's won the presidential race very early on. But in U.S. House races, for instance, and there are 52 new congressional districts in California, it could be that some of those House districts actually dictate control of the House. So we should just be patient and realize that this is how the process is supposed to work, it means that election officials are doing their job to get it right rather than to get it fast. They're being observed by bipartisan observers throughout the whole process, and that process just needs to play out. So there's nothing wrong going on if we have a close race and it takes some time to get results to the point where we can say this is definitely who
1: won. Well, Matt, what role do you think the media, folks like us, uh, what role do we have in setting voter expectations? Right. I, th- I think it's really important that on a state-by-state basis that,
3: that we make it as clear as possible what are the voter policies um, you know, going into election night and everything. Because in a lot of states, for instance, because of the high number of vote-by-mail, it's it's important to note that that's going to take a little bit longer for people to count. And that, for instance, when we do get back the initial data on what election day voting has been, that that's not necessarily what the entire tally is going to be. This was a huge issue in 2020 when, when people had misconceptions around what the final vote tally was going to be off of what we initially new, um, but because so many people had voted by mail that year, that is going to make it so that over time you're going to get more and more ballots that are going to be counted that are going to eventually shift the final tally. I, I think this year it's going to be very important for, for us in the media to, to temper people's expectations basically and, and, and urge a lot of patience and understanding when it comes with election workers on, on how this process is actually unfolding and um, to you know really be able to be cautious with any major issues that could be happening um, and say basically explain exactly what we know is going to be going on, how the process should be working, and um, how smoothly it is actually going to be taking place.
1: Well, and David, it's important to note when you look at it on a state-by-state basis, when an individual state can start tallying votes, that that can vary.
2: Yeah, that's right. So for instance, there are some states that heavily restrict the ability to pre-process mail ballots, meaning looking on the outside of the envelope, confirming the identity of the voter, confirming that voter was eligible to vote and checking the signature. That can be done in most states upon receipt weeks before the election. A lot of states like Florida, Georgia, Ohio do that exactly. And that works very, very well. And then there are states like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, where election officials of both parties have gone to the legislatures of those states and have said, especially after 2020, please give us the ability to pre-process these ballots. We won't release any results until after election night, but we can load them up in the tabulators so that we'll be able to report them out more quickly. And it gives us more time to review the integrity of each of those ballots. And those legislatures have refused uh, largely to... to, uh, um, for for those three states. So what we may expect is, depending upon the level of mail voting in states like Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan, it may take a little bit longer to get results, and especially since we expect some very close races and some high-profile contests in those states, that may impact uh, expectations and how long we have to wait.
1: Lieutenant Governor, what do you want voters in your state to know about the process of counting ballots?
4: Well, um, we we do have our county clerks process ballots along the way, um, and, but not uh, tabulate them, not not actually be able to uh, look at or or make public any results. Um, so, the more people vote early, um, the the better chances of of having. Some indication at least on election night of, of who's potentially going to win some of, some of these races are going to be really tight and it will be hard to tell um, but um, if you can get your ballot in early, you can have uh, that as I mentioned earlier that that uh, notification that your ballot has been processed for counting um, and, and has in fact been counted and then um, and then you will know that your ballot is part of those uh, initial returns um, that are made public on the on the night uh, of, of the election. Mm.
1: Now, Matt, something many Americans will be watching for as results are announced is which party controls the U.S. Senate. And that could come down to Georgia. After the 2020 election, we didn't know which party controlled the Senate until January because both Georgia's Senate races went to a runoff. Should voters in your state be bracing for that same situation this year? Well, if the polls are any indication right now, it does look like we, we could be headed for another
3: runoff. Um, um, Raphael Warnock and Herschel Walker are in a very, very tight race down here for the U.S. Senate seat. Um, and it's important to note that, that because of that, and, and also a libertarian candidate being in the race um, who's polling at about 1% to 2%, in as closely a divided state like Georgia, this newly minted battleground, it, it is possible that, that we could be going to a runoff. Now, that runoff would not be happening in January. It would actually be happening now on December 6th because of some of the new changes that, that shortened that timeline um, for a potential runoff here in Georgia from about two months of campaigning down to about a month. So, so people would have to endure those political ads through Thanksgiving, but they wouldn't have to be worried about them around Christmas.
1: Well, as we wrap up here, I'm curious to hear from each of you what you want voters to keep in mind as they head out to vote this year, or if they've already cast their vote as they prepare for the election results. Lieutenant Governor, I'll come to
4: you first. Well, I think it's really important for people to understand that Um, election administration should not be a partisan thing. Um, Politics has no place in the administration of elections. And I think Utah has demonstrated that. And Utah voters have demonstrated that through their high confidence in the way we've done things here. I actually just teamed up a couple weeks ago with the Secretary of State, the Democratic Secretary of State of Oregon, Shamia Fagan, um, to to do a message to both of our voters that look, you can be Republican, you can be Democrat, um, but when it when it comes to election administration, when it comes to counting your vote, you, we're all on the same team. We all want people to be secure in their knowledge that their vote counts. And the biggest way that you can do that, that you can increase your uh, confidence in in your voting process in your state, is to go to your county clerk, go go visit an election center, go take part um, as as the one uh, caller mentioned, go. Be, be an election worker next time. But before then even, you can go and, and get a tour and talk to your county clerk and learn about the process and learn about the things that are already in place. Just because someone says something and throws out a wild accusation does not mean it's true. In fact, the vast majority of these wild a- uh, accusations are not true and are very destructive. So please... Uh, Think about that before you go and uh, and spread any of these unfounded accusations. Just think about the destruction that you could be doing to our democracy if you do spread those unfounded uh, accusations and rumors without any thought or care. David, really briefly, I'll give you the, the last word.
2: Yeah, I think there are a few things. First, we should all be just so grateful to people like Lieutenant Governor Henderson and her colleagues across the political spectrum, across the country who are working overtime right now and are not putting their thumb on the scale for their candidates. They're just making sure that every voter's voice is heard. Second, It's going to be safe to vote out there. I know we're all on edge. I know we're hearing things about various places. I know there are some extremists working to make us feel unsafe. They want us to be scared of voting. But almost every voter, pretty much every single voter, if you go to vote, you're going to find a safe and convenient and familiar process. And then lastly, um, remember to try to be patient on election night. It's going to take some time for us to actually know who won some of these very, very close races. Election officials are working overnight, 24 hours a day to count those very complex ballots. I want to know who won at 8.01 p.m. Mm-hmm. on election night, but, and that's very normal, but we're just going to have to be patient. That's what happens when elections are as close as they are. That means the process is working.
1: That's David Becker. He's the executive director of the Center for Election Innovation and author of the new book, The Big Truth. Also with us, Matthew Brown, a democracy reporter for The Washington Post. and Utah's Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson. She's a Republican and she oversees the state's election. Thanks to you all. Today's producer was Amanda Williams. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening and we'll talk again tomorrow. This is One A.